Welcome to the Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and changemakers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio, converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Okay, Alex, let's uh, jump straight in. Let's talk about radio. You've spent a big chunk of your career in the world of radio. I'm curious now, like, what does somebody in the world of podcasting not know that somebody from the world of radio knows almost instinctively that you've been trained, that you learned with your craft? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it comes up quite a lot with uh, my podcast clients and how I get them to address their audience. I think that's kind of the key thing, really, that radio has nailed down almost instinctively that, you know, a lot of the modern day podcast creators, I don't think, have locked down yet. It's that way they address their audience. Uh, I think it's the classic addressing the individual rather than addressing the masses. And mm. that's often left behind quite a lot with podcasting. I think typically because most people who are hosting podcasts or running their own shows uh, have never had that radio background and perhaps they've never really thought much about how a, a sort of traditionally trained radio presenter would talk to them i guess how would they do that what would a traditionally trained radio presenter do yeah so i guess it's you know it's more talking to the individual so using the eyes the use the the wheeze sort of addressing the singular person even though you're talking to in some cases millions of people on the other end of the the wireless addressing them everybody so they feel like an individual and i think podcasters a lot of them have never really realized that and i think yeah mm. again it comes back to their perhaps lack of training lack of thought process never really considered how to address so you hear a lot of podcasters talking about you guys the listener audience uh, everyone everyone out yeah. there and it's just for me that's bad form and i think it podcasting is brilliant because it allows you to create these niche communities really easily around you know niche subjects whatever it might be and talking to your audience in that way uh, as a radio presenter would would do i think that uh that would only help them massively you mentioned it that word you guys yeah how many times we've heard that i mean i see it a lot, i hear it a lot on youtube as well yeah you yeah. guys you guys what, what is it that you learn in radio at what point does somebody in the editing room like beat you over the head young alex when you're starting out always talk to the individual you know some graph editor or like is it something you learn at university or where, where does at what point does that become ingrained in your radio personality yeah i think i mean obviously more often than not you start working in radio with a with a really well experienced presenter more often than not you know you're kind of paired up with the most experienced talent whilst you're learning the ropes and those guys know it like the back of their hand so i think it's kind of just instinctively practiced without any uh, afterthought mm. of course in university studying radio it's something they tell you you know you're taught how to how to address your audience and creating that level of intimacy uh, between you and the listener yeah working in radio it's just practiced without thought and then eventually as mm. you start to develop your you know your producer skills or your uh, whatever it might be, then you start working with younger talent or up-and-coming talent. And I think that's when you start to then be able to put it into practice. You can Some people come into presenting without ever having that 
that knowledge. And so then you, you're able to start repeating it and educating the newer presenters and, and then hopefully it sticks with them forever. When you started in radio, you must have been exposed to one of those old hands who many years in the game, but just, you know, working with them was probably like watching or absorbing a master at work. Yeah. What did you yeah. personally experience? What was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, I got to, I've, I've worked with a lot of really old, fantastic talent, you know, people who have been around the game a really long time. My time with the BBC, I worked with uh, a presenter called Julian Clegg and, at the time, he's retired mm. now, retired a couple of years back, but at the time he was the longest serving uh, BBC breakfast radio presenter in the country. He'd been doing his show, I think, uh, sort of around 25 years on the same show, you know, five days a week. And so, yeah, working with him was a you know, huge boost in, in knowledge and experience for me. What, being able to work with somebody that's got you know, a quarter of a century of experience, uh, sat in the same chair, mm. running the same show with a huge audience. It helps you grow as a producer tremendously, I think. I'm curious what a producer knows as well, because I mean, we've talked about podcasts as an example that I'm sure you've experienced this as well, Alex, that brands or podcast hosts come to you and as they do me and say, okay, we're a SaaS software company. This is what we want to talk about. We want to talk about this and it may not be as rudimentary as we want to talk about our products because they know people are interested but they may be one step above that which could be for example we want to talk about this idea that we have which is you know, let's call it beautiful business being that you know our products create this wonderful work environment for everybody in the remote world and like if you had that idea in radio how far would that get? What what's, what role would a producer have in this to anchor that in actually what audiences want? So do you mean if a, if a station were trying to come up with a sort of a niche idea to address a certain type of audience, is that what you're asking? Well, let's say, okay, you're, you're the producer stroke commissioning editor for your radio station. And I say, I've got this great idea. It's not an advert, but I want to talk about these things. How would you then sort of anchor me in reality because this is effectively 90 percent of podcast conversations these days isn't it we want to create a podcast about x right and there's been no conversation about actually what does the audience want yeah of course and i guess each station has its own remit i suppose in into what they're looking to do for their audience so you know you're you're always working within the, the station's strengths and and typically you know managing editors won't allow ideas to pass through that don't have some relation to your audience. So, you know, if you're working for a, a regional BBC station, for instance, then uh, say you're working in the South coast of the UK, for instance, as I was, you're not going to be pitching ideas that are about Manchester or Scotland or London because it's not relevant to your South based audience. So I guess you're always having to think about what your audience want and who they are always. Uh, and how they're changing and, and also how the station is looking to approach new audiences. So a lot of BBC regional stations over the last couple of years have been making a real hard push at uh, trying to capture the younger listener. You know, typically their mm. audience is very old, 50, 60 plus in, in many cases. And they've been trying really hard in the last couple of years to to find the younger listeners. But it's kind of the impossible task, really, because 
you know, your average station uh, listener age is, say, 70 years old. How do you start addressing and finding the 20-year-olds? So, yeah, I guess it's just thinking, you know, it's thinking outside of the box, thinking about the resources you've got available to you and the topics and who your audience are, and then trying to combine those in a way that makes something compelling to listen to uh, on the radio or, or, yeah, as a supplementary podcast, I suppose, in some cases. If I can take you back, Alex, to the time when you were a producer for Jazz FM, yeah. To what extent did you know who the audience was? Were you just aware that okay, these are people interested in jazz music or a certain type of music, or did you know who they were, what their names were, you know, where they lived, what kind of profile they had, what kind of granularity did you have on that? Yeah, and I joined jazz initially as kind of a. It was on a work placement through university, so I did a month with Jazz FM as as part of my course. And then that led on to doing sort of intern work at festivals. They host a, a, a yearly festival, jazz festival in Brighton. And so it sort of grew from there. And then as I grew as a producer, then I was in a place where they were able to hire me as as a producer, sort of after having sort of trained me quite loosely on the station. So I knew nothing about jazz music when I first joined and then sort of left knowing a fair amount about about the jazz music. And I think what, again, a lot of sort of podcast creators forget is that a a good managing editor or a good content team at any radio station will be able to single down who their listener is, how roughly, you know, the age they're going to fall into, what they like doing on the weekends, what their social activities are, what they listen to, perhaps what they listen to outside of the specialist music that, you know, the station is playing. Uh, and I, I don't think podcasters quite realize the the deep sort of knowledge or, or at least claimed knowledge that radio stations think they have through various mm. studies and things of their listener. But yeah, it does go quite, as you say, quite granular uh, into into their interests, their likes, their dislikes, and who they are as people. And that I think mm. that, that allows you to talk to them in a much more personable way. And that's what, you know, that's what makes a good presenter or a bad presenter is knowing who, who you're talking to and how to talk to them. You know, you can... Did you have an image of them in your head when you were producing this content was it you know like a particular avatar in advertising in the old days they would have called it the pen profile they would have given her a name and where yeah, she lived yeah. and so on and they talk about them in that context i wonder if you sort of humanized it in that way yeah it's like when you work in i don't know if you've ever done much sort of retail work but i used to work in a cinema and one of the first things they give you is a pamphlet that tells you exactly who the sort of the four categories of cinema goer are and what they'll typically buy and and how to address them mm. and things like that. And I think it's very similar for for radio. Um, yeah, I guess that, you know you do think of who's listening and time of day matters greatly to that. You know, if you've got a specialist, real crazy music show in the evening, it's a very different audience to the people that are listening to the you know, the business breakfast show early doors or they're listening to the, the normal breakfast show or, or perhaps a drive time show. So yeah, the, mm. the listener changes throughout the day, but, you know, often their key interests are, are the same. You know, they're all united by their love of perhaps the music or the topic of the station. But yeah, each show has its own audience and, and a good presenter will know who that audience is and how to talk to them, in my, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally right. It makes or breaks. I mean, radio was in, in many ways a sunset industry in the eyes of so many critics for so long, but it outstayed, you know, digital 
And a big part of it was that it had all of that. It had great talent and it had a connection with the community, didn't it? And especially in local radio, lived and died by that connection. You mentioned like jazz festival as an example, like a radio station being involved in a local festival. If, if we sort of step back a little bit from radio and step outside of the day-to-day of that and look at you know how ra- really radio interacted with its audience, that was a massive part of it, wasn't it? And look, look at where we are in podcasts. It's, it's almost an afterthought. I'm just wondering about all the different ways radio stations were part of communities, interacted with listeners from the very rudimentary phone-in, right? I mean, how much of that is a part of a radio station, the local phone-in, where just people talk and for no reason at all, often apart from just to kind of connect with other people and then festivals and so on. Like, tell us about that. How much was that part of what you did and how important was it to the radio station in general? Yeah, I think my experience with it is quite unique, I guess, in the sense that my early radio career started with Jazz FM and and very early into that was working the festival. So sort of my first exposure outside of the, you know, the local commercial stations or community stations, I guess, as they're called, and the hospital radio, which kind of where most people start. My first real experience of radio started as a, you know, a national specialist music station that's pretty successful and also runs its own festival. It wasn't sort of just part of the festival at the time when I did it they were running the festival. It was their thing. And so I guess it was quite unique in the sense that, you know, I was thrown in, not at the deep end because it, it didn't make things more challenging, but it was brilliant to be able to interact with the audience directly right away. You know, Jazz FM have a have a double-decker bus in the in this field, in this festival that they broadcast from. It, it's converted into a radio studio. The bottom floor is a, a radio studio and the top floor is a kind of post-production suite in a bit of a green room uh, and then outside outside of those double-decker doors you're at the festival ground it's right next to the main stage and so that was brilliant getting to interact with the audience meet the audience of course you know the audience are also interested in coming to talk to their favorite presenters so getting to see that interaction right away uh, yeah it was all fascinating and then I stepped pretty quickly offered to the BBC um, as I've said regional sort of local radio and as you've just said relies really heavily on the on the call-in, on the phone-ins. Uh, and yeah, and the big part of what I did there in, in my initial few months as a sort of freelance producer was cutting audio primarily and then answering the phones. So I got to talk to all of the, you know, I worked across all the shows on the station at the time, all times of day from the request music shows in the evening to the breakfast show where I primarily sat through most of my time there. And it was, yeah, it was fascinating getting to talk to these people on a daily basis. You know, they became friends over the sort of two years you're there. They know your, they know your name by just by hearing your voice. You know, you tell sort of personal stories as you're around the radio station. They pick up on that. They know bits about your life. It's, yeah, it's kind of a quite a surreal thing, I guess. Um, but they're all, they're kind of oh. lovely people. So it's, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's all behind the scenes as well, <laughs> yeah. right? That's what people don't realize. Well, well how do we. So my my question to you, Alex, is how do we re- recreate some of that for podcasts? Because it it may not be in the same format, but create that connection which radio did so well and was such a big part of its success. And to me, what we can learn, like when I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I'm sure you do as well, is that especially in the business space, it seems like 
the community pit is probably like the last one minute. If you, if you have questions, then email me, you know, graham at pickle.com, whatever. And like, I forgot about the listener and the community for the first 44 minutes, right? So what can we do? Do you, have you seen successful, you know, reincarnations of that community radio spirit on podcasts? What works? What doesn't work? Yeah, and that's a good question for sure. And it's something I, I think about quite often because obviously that's, you know, you're kind of capturing lightning in a bottle in a way because if you manage to do that successfully, you hit the ground running. I think a lot of it does come with, you know, audience number is important. So I think it's pretty important to think that as a as a brand new podcaster, sort of with your first couple of episodes, you're not going to be able to host an event and expect a live audience to turn up. It doesn't really work that way. You may get lucky. Somebody may find your, your event online and think it sounds interesting and, and get a ticket, but, you know, chances are slim. I guess a good example, people I've worked with, you know, I've worked with a podcast called The Hotbed for a really long time, for a few years now. And they've done sort of six seasons of their show. It's relatively successful. They've hosted a few live events in different uh, different venues doing kind of live podcasts, I guess, is the best way to describe it. So I've just sat in front of a, a live audience. They take over like a shop or a bookshop or a small venue and they get to meet their audience, get to have a drink with them afterwards, record a live podcast that they can allow questions and things uh, from the audience. And that kind of ends up as an episode. And I think that does create quite a nice atmosphere. Because, you know, typically speaking, people love seeing themselves on TV or hearing themselves on the radio. So it, it does kind of replicate mm. some of that. Asking a question at a live podcast recording and getting to listen back to it later or sending it to friends and family just to hear yourself speak. If you're someone who doesn't broadcast, it's probably pretty exciting. And I think that doesn't really go away for some people. So that's a good example. Mm. They've also done panels at, at festivals. So a lot of these festivals, especially in the UK, have you know, comedy tents or they'll have lifestyle tents or or health tents that kind of break away from the main music, I guess, of, of a normal music festival. Um, and the hotbed, they've done that at a festival in the South called Bestival. And that ended up as an episode as well that we recorded. Mm. And that was brilliant because, again, a live audience is there, but not all of them are going to be your your or your fans already because typically speaking, I guess, with the, depending on the numbers, not everybody would have heard of your show. And getting to put your content in front of a completely new audience. Um, some of them may be familiar with you anyway, but you know, you have to assume the majority won't be. That's pretty that creates a good sense of community as well. And it's an easy way to build a new fan base. You know, I like to think that a lot of people came from that tent at the festival and and you know, hopefully listen to future episodes. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit, talking about now and the future. So when you look at podcasting. And what's going on? Who really inspires you? What do you think is a really good use of the format and the medium? Who's getting it right and taking it to, you know, its full potential, if not sort of pushing the boundaries on it? I love narrative, sort of longer form, maybe journalistic style content. That's kind of what I really enjoy listening to. I think maybe most of us come to podcasting mm. and it starts with an interview show or a roundtable discussion. I think that's most people's introduction to podcasting. I think a lot of people still think that's what podcasting is. Um, and, and that's exactly how I started. You know, I, I started listening to podcasts in, in 2008, um, a group of guys called Rooster Teeth on YouTube. And they've been doing their podcast mm -hmm. for years. They were, they're tech guys. 
YouTube guys, they were really early to podcasting. So that's how I started. And that was kind of what my introduction to audio, radio, podcasting, everything was, was, was through their podcast. And yeah, I, th- I think when you break away from, from those interview shows and those roundtable discussions and you realize what can be done with the medium, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty exciting. I think Serial obviously changed a lot of things in, I think it was 2014 with their, with the show, the first season of Serial. It uh, changed the game for for a lot of creators. But I don't think that kind of took off into the mainstream as much as it should have done, considering it's still one of the biggest podcasts in the world today. Uh, the amount of interview shows that come still into the mix, you know, daily, hourly, whatever it might be, mm. is still pretty crazy. You would have thought that, that would have inspired a lot more creators to to take that route. But yeah, I enjoy people. I enjoy the long form narrative content, things like The Dropout, which is a story, I think, by ABC News about Elizabeth Holmes. That's crazy interesting to me. Things I can, you know, I can learn from, stories I can hear. Kind of gets the same effect as hit, you know, reading a book, I suppose, in many ways. Um Bed of Lies mm. was a really great one that came out of the UK uh, last year about undercover policing in the uh, late nineties. And that was by the Telegraph. So you've got these big publications and I interviewed the the lady who created Bed of Lies, Cara McGugan. And we had a great discussion about how interesting it was that, you know, one of the oldest forms of media being the newspaper uh, is actually in a lot of cases, you know, the Guardian, the Telegraph, the Independent, places like that. They're spearheading a lot of the content in the UK, the narrative content for podcasting. And I think it's really interesting that, mm. you know, the oldest form of media almost in the world is is leaning really heavily on, the, you know, what can be considered one of the newest forms of, of storytelling. A big part of it is that they know how to tell stories, right? Yeah. A journalist should be a great storyteller in theory. Absolutely. And that, that's a craft, isn't it? If you read a good journalist uh, and read their writing, they write really well. And I think if you can write well, you can also speak well in some yeah. ways that you have clarified your thoughts, haven't you? You've managed to distill them, yeah. cut out the fluff, find the human story in that and then you know then convey that it's interesting that you you talk about people like the guardian and so on telegraph as people who are really leading that space it's because the craft is there isn't it that craft of storytelling great journalism at its peak it really should convey across all mediums right not just paper and print but also in audio yeah. And I wonder as well if you're going to see that sort of, you know, if, if we sort of take radio, we take journalism on print and we take podcasts, are we going to see people who sort of transcend all of these and just, you know, they are these, dare I say it, these influencers, storytellers who can tell stories across all platforms. I wonder, I don't know. It seems to be people very media specific, don't they? If you're a YouTuber, you're a YouTuber, podcaster, podcaster, right? I don't think we've had a lot of, cross media yeah i mean story storytelling influencer sounds awesome to me (laughs) (laughs) if i could be a a storytelling influencer and sell stories on you know all these different places that that Mm. sounds the most appealing thing and i mean quite to your point journalists quite often you know are successful authors as they are journalists and some of them go on to be you know showrunners or writers for successful tv shows or films biopics perhaps if they've got a big case study so I think, yeah, that craft, that journalistic talent does lean really well into loads of different things. So it, it is a natural mm. home for podcasting. 
Um, but yeah, like you say, it doesn't always happen. You know, YouTubers, these people that have been you know, huge on YouTube or TikTok in the last couple of years, places like that, that kind of have their one home. Hasn't There hasn't been as much crossover recently, but the old school journalist really does seem to have mm. that skill set to be able to replicate that success if they're good, at least in a number of different places. And I think that's what makes some of my favorite podcasts have been from news outlets or from journalists. And I think it, it's quite telling, really. Just out of interest, uh, you don't have to have an answer for this. We'll edit it out if you don't. Just an ambush question. Uh, do you... Yeah. <laughs> Are there any sort of podcasts who are doing something radically different, but that's really interesting? Um, you know, like it may be like experimenting with the format. I think of this like music in a way is that, you know, everybody's kind of adopting a format that works. And so they copy it because they know that if they model that band format or that style of song, then the chances are they're not on the the outlying part of the distribution curve and so therefore they're more likely to get airplay and yet then somebody comes along and does something radically different and just blows it all up i wonder if, like in, i mean you talked about cereal as a great example i wonder like what we've seen in the last couple of years or what you've heard that really makes you think hmm, these guys are doing something different yeah no it's an interesting question for sure i think for me it's and it leans really well into kind of what's been going on in the landscape recently, but it's the people that have managed to monetize, I guess, in an interesting Mm. way. I mean, it's all well and good, you know, finding sponsorship or being from a brand and kind of having that as your backing. But I think these independent creators that are finding really interesting and resourceful ways to, to make Mm. money, um, that's been a way that that's the thing that stood out for me a lot recently. I mean, I can pick up a good story on a podcast weekly, you know, it's quite an easy thing to do. And that does stand out. Of course, there's a lot of rubbish in the, in the podcast space, you know, so, so many of them are absolute trash. There's a few gems and they appear mm. all the time, but yeah, I think people that managed to monetize in a really interesting way. I mean, there's a great example. There's a podcast called, I think it's Dungeons and Daddies, um, which is a Dungeons and Dragons themed <laughs> podcast with a group of dads. Quite simple. Uh, but they have done extraordinarily well through through Patreon. Mm. And they've, I mean, they're, they're making huge sums of money, but it's not just through sponsorship. You know, there's paid members of the audience can name characters in their Dungeons and Dragons game. They can get merch and style to them. They can they can affect the game that they're playing within the podcast, you know? And I think that's really interesting. That, that stood out to me right away because I think that's really interesting. Some, some way your audience can pay, obviously, to support you, but also have an impact in what's going on with mm. your show. That's a really unique, that's a really unique thing. You that's can awesome. Create. It's hard to do, of yeah. course, but uh, really interesting. I love it. It's a great example. Like you said, I mean, where we started off, you talked about niche communities. And there, there you have one, right? That you've got these middle-aged guys yeah. <laughs> like I mean, just doing Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I think it's awesome. And yeah. the fact is that people are willing to pay for that and support it. Just goes to yeah. show. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm I'm not into the game at all, but I think it's, it's yeah, awesome. I, mean, I think they've got like 11,000 supporters paying, paying that wow. show. Wow. That's a good gig, especially yeah. if they're just doing it for the prank. I'm looking at it now. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty it's cool. A- I think it ranges from four pounds to 40 pounds uh, per month. That's their subscription levels. And they've got 11,000 people in that mix. Love it. I would love to get these guys on this show. 
and interview one of them because oh. it's just awesome, isn't it? And I think, like you say, yeah. I mean, even if you're not into like role playing, that that would be interesting just because they're interested in something. You know, it's like going back to school. It was always the teacher that told the best stories that got you into that subject. It could be in history, it could be in maths, right? But that's what you really got into because they were so passionate about it. You got into it, even if you didn't really like the subject. Mm. I think that's kind of what we're dealing with here. People are really into something. And therefore, you share the enthusiasm more than you share, like, I mean, maybe that's a gateway into role playing. I don't know. But I just think it's <laughs> awesome that those guys can really make yeah, that I mean, work. Passion is, uh, passion's infectious sometimes, mm. you know? And I think that's it's definitely a case. I think I could, I mean, I kind of like the fantasy stuff and I enjoy TV, film, whatever it might be, games, never play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm pretty sure if I listen to this show, that's me, you know, interested in playing playing the game. You'll be there. You'll so be, think, you'll yeah, be on an easy crossover. I think you can find the Dressed genres. up in some elf costume. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Pay my £40 a month to uh, name myself as a character. That would be awesome. That would be so funny. I'd love to. I'd, I'd pay to have that happen. See you on it. Make a cameo. <laughs> well, if you interview them, let them know and uh, get me involved. <laughs> that is awesome. Alex, it's a really good conversation. really enjoyed this. You've been listening to The Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.